And the other thing, chaos. There's zero chaos. We are running. This is a fine-tuned machine. Oh, my God. Imagine if it wasn't finely tuned. That's probably why. I got the feeling that something right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle. Everywhere. Everywhere. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM, people-powered radio in L.A. Up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast and 106.7 FM Queso in Cottage Grove. 92.9 FM WLRI in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. 88.5 FM KAKU in Maui. WGRN 94.1 FM in Columbus, Ohio, 102.9 FM WLPP in Palinville, New York, and in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950, KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. We're also heard streaming coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Detour Talk, Radio Monterey, and Radio Sputnik. Blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker. All around very, very, very swell fellow, says me, from BradBlog.com. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, coming up shortly, almost one million signatures were delivered to Congress on a petition calling for the impeachment of Donald J. Trump today. Now, no matter what you think of that prospect, the idea that almost one million Americans have signed a petition calling for impeachment uh, not even one month into a presidency, that in and of itself is remarkable. But so, too, is the fact that just a week or so ago, I, I don't even know how long it was, uh, a, a, a public uh, a poll from public policy poll, uh, public policy polling, PPP, found that 46 percent of Americans right now would support impeachment of this president. Now, also, 46 would oppose it. But the fact that 46 percent this early in a presidency support the idea of impeachment, that is unheard of. I'll be speaking momentarily to Norman Solomon, heading up uh, the group organizing this uh, impeachment effort at the moment, impeachdonaldtrumpnow.org. Uh, I'll be talking to Norman about that and uh, and about their reasons why they think that Trump should be impeached now and about much more. Also coming up today on the broadcast, uh, Desi Doyen. Hello. <laughs> hey. Happy anniversary. Oh, yeah, that's right. It is our eighth anniversary of the Green News Report. We are now heading into our ninth year of connecting the climate change dots over your public airwaves. Oh, yeah. Um, kind of amazing that it has been eight years. But uh, but here we go into year number nine uh, with, as you might have guessed, a lot of uh, a lot of green news today. <laughs> so that's coming up shortly. Uh, also, uh, the, uh, Donald Trump held his first solo press conference as president today. 
uh, to announce, essentially to announce his new Labor Department nominee, Alex Acosta, the dean of Florida International University College of Law, Trump's original nominee. Fast food executive uh, Andrew Puzder was forced to withdraw on Wednesday due to a whole bunch of controversies. Um, now, uh, he didn't spend uh, Trump did not spend much time, frankly, on the new Labor Department nominee. He spent a lot more time, as you might imagine, talking about himself. Now, I didn't get to watch it live today. I've been trying to catch up with some of the uh, uh, some of the clips that have been posted. I'll share a few of those in a second. Uh, but I actually I spoke with my parents on the phone shortly after it finished and uh, they described they apparently watched the whole thing. They described it. And I'm quoting here uh, a more than hour long clown show on embarrassment for the U.S. Well, gosh, now I am sorry that I missed it. Uh, but Desi Doyen, uh, <laughs> this goes to what we were discussing yesterday, how Donald Trump supporters are seeing this mess, this entire mess very differently, frankly, from you know, reality-based folks like you and me and, and some, at least, in the media. You heard from some of your relatives down in Texas. <laughs> yes, my uh, my rabid right-wing Republican relatives. Yeah, they were ecstatic about it. In fact, one of them said, wow, he really took it to the press. He really, yeah, they were very excited about it. This is uh, like the the two different realities that we seem to be living in right he now. He kicked so butt, they said. He kicked butt, huh? Yeah. Well, okay, so keep that in mind. Keep that point of view in mind as I play a, a couple of these quips, uh, clips and, and some reaction to it here. <clears throat> uh, Trump said several times uh, that I inherited a mess. Things are, you know, just terrible. And he's going to save us. He said, I don't think there's ever been a president in the time we've been elected that's done what we've done. Bragging about the accomplishments that he's had in the first uh, three weeks or so of his presidency. Well, I would agree with the, that. I don't think there's ever been a president uh, who, who has done something like this in, <laughs> in this amount of time. Uh, he also, of course, discussed his huge electoral victory. Huge says Donald Trump, but he was finally called out on that uh, by one of the journalists uh, at the presser. Very simply, you said today that you had the biggest electoral margin since Ronald Reagan with 304 or 306 electoral votes. In fact, President Obama got 365 and 232 and George H.W. Bush 426 when he won as president. So why should Americans trust Well, no, I was told, I was given that information. I don't know. I was just given. We had a very, very big margin. I guess my question is, why should Americans trust you when you accuse the information they receive of being fake when you're providing information? Well, I don't know. I was given that information. I was given, I've actually, I've seen that information around. But it was a very substantial victory. Do you agree with that? You're the president. Okay, thank you. I, that's a good answer. Yes. <laughs> that's a good answer. Yeah, you're the president. Uh, he's seen that information around. He has gone on and on and on to say how what a, a huge electoral victory he's had. It's the largest in modern uh, times. And then when he's called out on it, he said, well, I've seen that information around. That information is pretty easy to look uh, to look up. You don't need insider information as the president of the United States to determine if your victory was the largest in in recent electoral history. So good on that journalist. Good for him calling him out. It's a little hard to hear there, but he basically pointed out that Obama had a larger electoral victory. George H.W. Bush had a larger electoral victory. But I guess that was something that uh, Trump hasn't had time to look up. Uh, he also attacked uh, both the uh, press and 
time and time again, uh, which, Des, I know your family enjoyed, uh, <laughs> and the folks inside his own administration, apparently, or the intelligence community, uh, who keep leaking all of this stuff to the, uh, to the corporate media. The first thing I thought of when I heard about it is, how does the press get this information that's classified? How do they do it? You know why? Because it's an illegal process and the press should be ashamed of themselves. <laughs> so the press should be ashamed for doing their job of informing the American public. Um, but he was fear. He went on and on in the clips that I saw, uh, you know, about uh, just how outrageous and illegal these leaks were. And yet uh, he is arguably in office due to uh, leaked information, the uh, leaking, the leaking, the hacking, the stealing, Indeed. the posting of private emails from the DNC and from uh, uh, DNC chair uh, John Podesta and so on and so forth. And he lauded that. He was delighted about that. He did not say anyone should be ashamed of themselves for that. In fact, he, he you know, he wanted more. He said, hey, Russia, if you're listening, uh, can you can you get those 33,000 Hillary emails and steal those and post those? So he didn't much uh, care about the uh, leaking of, I think his claim is that, oh, well, that wasn't classified. So I guess it's okay if it's not classified, <laughs> it's okay to take stolen private information and post it online. Good to keep in mind. The reaction from Jake Tapper over at CNN, I, I, th I thought was was quite remarkable. So I'm, I'm going to play uh, uh, some of this at length um, because, you know, whatever you think of CNN, uh, Jake Tapper has been very, very good on uh, on pressing Trump officials for, you know, to stick to actual facts and confirmable reality. So his uh, his reaction to this hour long press conference today by Donald Trump in the White House was was kind of remarkable. It was a wild press conference. Uh, and I think that, uh, first of all, purportedly, the purpose of it was to introduce his new Secretary right. of Labor nominee, Alexander Acosta. He talked about Jim Acosta more than he talked about Alexander Acosta. He talked about Hillary Clinton more than he talked about Alexander Acosta. He spent the first part of his uh, remarks talking about accomplishments that he thought the media, the fake media, whatever he wants to call us, were not paying enough attention to. But then, instead of focusing on these accomplishments and offering an optimistic, positive view, uh, of what he's doing for this country. It was an airing of grievances. It was festivus. It was <laughs> complaints about the media. Uh, at one point he said the leaks were real, but the news is fake, which doesn't make any sense whatsoever. He said things that were not true. Uh, Peter Alexander from NBC pointed out one of them when he said he had the biggest electoral victory win since Ronald Reagan. That's not true. Clinton, Clinton, Obama, Obama, George H.W. Bush, all were bigger, but um, Moving on, moving on to that, uh, if you are a, a soldier in harm's way right now, if you are a, a hungry child in Appalachia, the inner city, if you are an unemployed worker in a hollow shell of a steel town, that's not a president who seemed rather focused on your particular needs and wants. That's a president focused on his bad press. It was unhinged. It was wild. And I can't believe that there are Republicans and on Capitol Hill and in the White House who don't understand that might play well with the 44% of the population that voted for the president. But a lot of Americans are going to watch that press conference and think, 
That guy is not focused on me. I don't even know what he's focused on. Everybody at home just needs needs to ask themselves, how would you react if that were your boss coming in and giving a speech to the, the employees where you work? How would you how would you react if that was somebody in your family that you were trying to have a conversation with? You would think this is very difficult to assess in a positive way. The, the person is not dealing with the world in which we live. Uh, he said things that weren't true. He was called out by one reporter. You said you had the biggest electoral victory since Reagan. That's not true. And he said, well, somebody gave me that information. Somebody gave me that information. The buck stops there. Is that where we are with this presidency? You said it. Own the words. You were wrong. But it's not just about electoral votes. It's about the fact that he's still fixated on whether or not he legitimately won the presidency. President Trump, if you're watching, you're the president. You legitimately won the presidency. Now get to work and stop whining about it. <laughs> that was Jake Tapper of fake news outlet CNN. Um, he, he, says, uh, he, he said there that he can't believe that there are Republicans uh, who uh, you know, view this in a, in a positive light. Well, Des, your family shows there are still a lot of Republicans who view this in a positive light. Most definitely. I mean, that's the 44 percent of supporters that Tapper was referring to. Um, I think it's it is remarkable, though, when you look at congressional Republicans and Republicans in political positions around the country, uh, that is remarkable to me that there are very few, if any of those people who are in actual power and in office who have anything to say about any of the remarkably bonkers stuff that 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 he's saying. I mean, McCain has come out and said something. And, and that's but what that's I wanted to. Yeah, actually, I want to hit because uh, John McCain actually has begun to respond to some of this madness. Uh, speaking to, I think this was to, to actually to CNN yesterday uh, on uh, on dysfunction at the White House. He says, uh, obviously, we're in uncharted uncharted waters. We've never had a national security advisor lie, give false information to the vice president of the United States. I mean, we are in areas that, as I said before, are from a national security standpoint. We are dysfunctional, says Senator McCain. Uh, about what the White House needs to do to fix uh, whatever mess he believes uh, that they're in. He said, you've got to go through a regular process of decision making. You get you, you get somebody who is really well regarded as the new national security advisor and you start the machinery running and don't, by the way, roll out again a refugee executive order that takes everybody's surprise by surprise. A regular process of decision making. That's what they're not doing. As I said before, who's making the decisions in the White House? Is it the 31 year old? I guess he's talking about Jared Kushner there. Is it Mr. Bannon? Is it the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff? I don't know. They need to clean up their act. That was John McCain, Senator Republican Senator John McCain, talking about this White House. Um, Donald Trump also sees it very differently. He thinks that things are going swimmingly. I turn on the TV, open the newspapers, and I see stories of chaos. Chaos. Yet it is the exact opposite. This administration is running like a fine-tuned machine. Well, there you go. This is a fine-tuned machine. Okie dokie, then. Uh, <laughs> our, uh, our, our old friend uh, David Edwards over at Raw Story. David used to uh, work with us at bradblog.com. 
uh, posted kind of a remarkable response to this fine-tuned machine uh, last night at Raw Story. He said, "You," uh, he reported, U.S. national security officials are reportedly ready to go nuclear after President Donald Trump's latest attack on the intelligence community. Uh, in a series of tweets on Tuesday and Wednesday, Trump insisted that the real scandal was not that former national security advisor Michael Flynn lied about uh, his contacts with Russia. Instead, uh, the president blasted what he said were un-American leaks that led to Flynn's ousting. Among the tweets that uh, Trump has uh, uh, put out there over the last day or two, the real story here is why there are so many illegal uh, so many illegal leaks coming out of Washington. Will these leaks be happening as ideal on North Korea, etc.? Well, in that case, I don't even know that we need the leaks because he was apparently talking about North Korea in the middle of uh, dinner at Mar-a-Lago and everyone saw it. He tweeted, information is being illegally given to the failing New York Times and Washington Post by the intelligence community, NSA and FBI, just like Russia. Don't know what he means by just like Russia, but that's what he said. Uh, the real scandal here, he reiterated, is that classified information is illegally given out by intelligence like candy. Very un-American! Exclamation. Actually, it is. It's kind of American. We have a great history <laughs> of uh, of leaks, uh, including from the intelligence community. In any event, on Wednesday last night, uh, former NSA intelligence analyst John Schindler offered uh, some unique insight and reaction from the national security community, from the intelligence community. He tweeted, U.S. intelligence is not the problem here. The president's collusion with Russian intelligence is many details, but the essence is simpler. Simple, he, uh, he tweeted. He said, now we go nuclear. Really? Now we go nuclear, he wrote on Twitter. The intelligence community war is going to new levels. Just got an email from senior intelligence community friend. It began, quote, he will die in jail. Oh, hello. Well, hello indeed. I don't know if he will die in jail or not, um, but he might be impeached and sooner than many people think. And that story is next on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. <laughs> Hey, this is Brad. Given the outcome of the 2016 election, we really need your support now more than ever. This is not a drill. It never was. Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to keep up the resistance now more than ever. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. Oh, that old chestnut. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Thanks for dusting off that old Neil Young impeachment song. Well, speaking of press conferences, and I uh, suspect press conferences that received far less coverage in D.C. today than did Donald Trump's insane press conference. Uh, well, let's start here. 
Uh, the Washington Post headline yesterday, as White House chaos grows, Trump is a boon for business in Britain's betting houses. Thrill-seeking gamesters in Britain, the uh, Washington Post reports, can toss down money on anything political from whether Donald Trump will visit Russia before the end of the year to if he will win the 2017 Nobel Peace Prize. By the way, there are 100 to 1 odds on that. The main bet, however, as Alex Donahue a British betting web, uh, from the British betting website Ladbrokes told the Post, would be on impeachment or if Donald Trump will finish his term. And most bettors seem to be placing their hard-earned money on the idea that he will, in fact, be impeached. Currently, Ladbrokes offers an even payout on that happening. One-to-one -one odds, in other words. So uh, if, if you bet $1 on Trump impeachment and it's proven correct, you receive just $2 back. That's how close the odds are. And uh, the paper reports many people are betting on that. We face a six-figure payout should the Donald resign or find himself impeached before the end of his first term, uh, the Ladbrokes spokesman uh, told the Post. Simply put, British bettors do not trust Trump as far as they could throw him, and they're willing to, st uh, to stake hefty amounts of money on him failing. And indeed, one can watch these shifts occurring in real time in the odds, according to the paper. When the interview with um, this uh, Ladbroke spokesman uh, uh, began, the Post reports, the payout, if Trump were impeached, was 11 to 10. But by the time he said cheers, it was an even one to one odds. One explanation, they say, was uh, for the shift is likely the burgeoning Michael Flynn scandal. Well, that's fun. Uh, but is impeachment of this president in this country, in a Republican-controlled House and Senate right now, even fathomable? My guest today, I believe, will argue that it is. Less than one month since Donald Trump took office, the group's Free Speech for People and RootsAction.org announced today at the National Press Club in a press conference that they are delivering a petition with more than 870,000 signatures to Congress calling on the House of Representatives to initiate an impeachment investigation into what the groups describe as President Trump's corrupt business dealings, including violations of the U.S. Constitution's Foreign Emoluments Clause and Domestic Emoluments Clause and other federal laws. The groups have set up a website to support this effort at impeachdonaldtrumpnow.org. And here to talk about impeaching Donald Trump now, uh, as incredible as it may seem, not even a full month into a uh, presidency, uh, is Norm Solomon, who spoke today at the press conference. He is a journalist, media critic, and the national coordinator for the online activist group RootsAction.org, which is co-sponsoring this effort. He's also the founder and executive director of the Institute for Public Accuracy, a consortium of policy researchers and analysts, and the author of a dozen books, including War Made Easy, How Presidents and Pundits Keep Spinning Us to Death. Norm Solomon, welcome to the broadcast, sir. Oh, glad to be with you, Brad. It has been many years since we have uh, spoken, so I'm uh, glad to have you on today. I know it's been a busy day for you, I suspect, after the press conference. Uh, given the fact, by the way, that uh, Trump held his own presser 
to announce his new Labor Department nominee uh, today uh, after the last one crashed and burned over the past 24 hours. Uh, was there any available press left to show up at your press conference in D- also in D.C. just an hour or two earlier today? Yeah, we had uh, some press there, including um, Australian Broadcasting Network, uh, AFP, the huge uh, Agence France press was there, uh, and a few other journalists. We also were able to go over in the afternoon to the office of the new congressman, Jamie Raskin, a Democrat from Maryland, who very graciously uh, met us at his office and took the petition with the 870,000 signers who you mentioned. Mm -hmm. Uh, So feel like it's been a good day. This is a uh, very long process, but not as long as many people think. Uh, this could be uh, a lot quicker than we might have imagined just a few weeks ago. Uh, which is, is kind of incredible to even ponder, actually. When I had seen your effort uh, a week or so ago, I thought, well, you know what, I'll have Norm on and I'll give him hell about this because it seems just such a uh, it's such a reach, if, you know, in a this early in a presidency. But um, just a few days later, uh, maybe it's not such a reach. All right, let's go in a nutshell then, and and that might be a key word here to describe this presidency. Uh, your case for impeachment, based on the foreign and domestic emolument clauses, among others. So let's hit both of those quickly. Um, the, uh, the foreign clause, I'll just read it here. No person holding any office or profit or trust under the United States shall, without the consent of the Congress, accept of any present emolument, office or title of any kind, whatever, from any king, prince or foreign state. How do you believe that in uh, your groups believe that Donald Trump has violated the foreign emolument clause? Well, on the merits, we're actually uh, not moving really fast on this. We're almost a month behind because, uh, as with the domestic emoluments clause, uh, the one that you just read uh, took effect the moment that Donald Trump became president. So on Inauguration Day at about 12.01 p.m. D.C. time, he was in violation of both clauses of the Constitution. Uh, When it gets to the foreign emoluments, he has so many investments. The Trump Organization is so invested in many, many different countries, uh, including Saudi Arabia, where he has not in any way uh, divested. You know, he should have, and experts are pretty unanimous on this, uh, legal and financial experts, he should have engaged between Election Day and Inauguration Day in a blind trust. His trust is 2020. It's not blind at all. He knows exactly what he owns, and the conflicts of interest are huge. So um, he has a, a couple of uh, buildings in Turkey, for instance, where, again, U.S. policy have, has any, everything to do with his profit and loss. This is ex- exactly what the founders were trying to prevent with the emoluments clauses. And so, really, it's not controversial among uh, constitutional scholars and others who know the history of how these provisions of the Constitution were put together. Can, can an argument be made? No, so what you're basically saying is like these buildings you mentioned, are they uh, state-owned buildings or st- uh, state-owned businesses in Saudi Arabia, in Turkey, and so forth, and the profits from those go to Donald Trump in some fashion, and that makes it uh, an emolument from a foreign state? Is that it in a well, nutshell? Well, yes. The governments have everything to do with the regulations, the taxes, the permissions. Uh, they decide all sorts of stuff that directly affects how much money goes to or doesn't go to the Trump organization and to Trump personally. 
And uh, when we move over to the domestic uh, issues as well, you know, you don't have to walk very far from the White House to the new Trump Hotel, which is in a financial relationship with the uh, U.S. Uh, Postal Service and uh, U.S. government. Mm-hmm. And again, uh, the we haven't quite gotten to this, but we, we may as well. The U.S. government and every one of the 50 states, according to the Domestic Emoluments Clause of the Constitution, again, the president is not allowed to get any profit whatsoever, uh, emoluments in the uh, verbiage of the time, mm-hmm. uh, from relationships with any of those governmental en- entities inside our own country. So, you know, this is a president who said that there can't be a presidential conflict of interest. If you're president, you can't have a conflict of interest, which is reminiscent of what Richard Nixon said, if the president does it, it's not illegal. Mm -hmm. Well, we know where that ended up. Well, we do. Uh, but the uh, the the idea that uh, when he says and and far be it for me to defend Donald Trump in any way, shape, or form, but when he says uh, that uh, the president can have have conflicts of interest, he's talking about the idea that a lot of these conflicts of interest laws apply to uh, federal officials, but apparently not to the president. So keeping that well, in that, mind, that would yeah. be a very very tough argument to make, and in fact. Um, the, the Stock Act mm-hmm. um, that was passed in 2012, uh, Stop Trading on uh, Inside Information, essentially, explicitly mentions the president. And I should say that the Domestic Emoluments Clause of the Constitution is explicitly, according to the Constitution, not waivable by Congress. He doesn't get a pass because he's president or Republicans of his party, most party uh, majority, uh, like him and say, okay, you get to break the rules or we'll change the rules. It's just not allowed. So I think, Brad, an underlying question is, is the president above the law? Do we want to have a president who can violate with impunity the supreme law of the land, which is what the U.S. Constitution calls itself? Mm -hmm. Well, obviously, we don't want that, or I don't want that, you don't want that. But uh, I also want to make sure that if a case is brought... Uh, you know, the argument for an impeachment uh, that it's on solid ground. And I'm glad you mentioned uh, the the domestic versus the foreign clauses here, because in the foreign clause, you're right. It does say without the consent of the Congress, the president may not accept, et cetera, et cetera. Can uh, can. But it doesn't say that on the domestic side. Can an argument be made, uh, Norman Solomon, that uh, Congress has given its consent by not doing anything, by not uh, demanding he release his tax, his, uh, tax returns, uh, you know, th- that they are giving their consent here? No, the tax returns have, have nothing to do with it. And as you know, uh, it's, it's clear in the Constitution that that, uh, option for the Congress to waive the provision is uh, not at all applicable uh, to the domestic emolument. So he's stuck, and Congress is stuck. A lot of people, initial response, and I, frankly, a few weeks ago when I heard about impeachment talk, mm-hmm. I agreed with this idea, which I think is wrong, that, well, it's a Republican Congress, so they're just not going to impeach. And I went back and looked at what happened with the House Judiciary Committee in 1974. There were seven different Republicans on that committee who voted to impeach Richard Nixon, and that was pivotal. That's why he resigned, because he saw the writing on the wall. This is why I get to the precept, which I think is so crucial, and I know you've talked about this Mm -hmm. on the program so often, that when people lead 
the leaders will follow. When the grassroots is activated and organized, then people in Congress may be the last to know what's going to happen because it comes from us. And that's where I think organizing is so crucial. That's why at impeachdonaldtrumpnow.org, we do have those 870,000 signers, and they're all zip-coded, and we know every congressional district that they live in. And we're launching phase two, while the petition continues, to have a fire lit under dozens and dozens and ultimately hundreds of members of Congress to say, hey, there is a need for a impeachment resolution. You need to sponsor it. You need to vote for it. Let's get this show on the road. And, of course, impeachment is uh, is a political act. Uh, it, you have to have, uh, you know, the political energy behind it, whether it's uh, the Republicans who control this or uh, Democrat. There is a way, actually, to bring articles of impeachment. It was done back in uh, uh, during the Bush era. And by way of uh, full disclosure, well, Dennis Kucinich uh, brought articles of impeachment against George W. Bush. And I think that was during a Republican Congress as well. But he was able to actually file those articles by way of transparency here for myself. Uh, I was asked to help draft some of those articles uh, regarding concerns about election malfeasance in the case of Bush. But ultimately, those articles... Uh, They were ignored by the rest of Congress Uh, at the time. They were tabled by the Judiciary Committee, as I recall. Um, But even without uh, Republicans who control Congress doing this on their own, there is a way for Democrats, if they're interested, to introduce these articles. Is there not? Yes, that can be done. We're uh, anticipating that it will be done. There are many in Congress who are Democrats who are behind the scenes talking about who should do it, when it should happen, and there's been a step in that direction. Gerald Nadler, uh, Democratic congressperson Mm -hmm. from the city of New York, uh, about a week ago introduced a resolution of inquiry, as it's known, which is not a resolution for impeachment, but it's widely seen and I think uh, is a step in that direction in this case. He wants uh, the Congress to uh, ask formally uh, the Attorney General to come forward with all sorts of information, uh, and the resolution, which is just a few pages, dwells mostly on the financial conflicts of interest, and the resolution mentions the emoluments uh, clause, a uh, foreign one in that case, and it's very important because when that gets rolling, then uh, the genie gets out of the bottle in a sense, and it is groundwork towards impeachment, I believe. Is this, uh, as you describe it as groundwork, is it uh, basically trying to uh, uh, till the soil here for uh, an eventual impeachment after Democrats maybe somehow uh, regain power in 2018, uh, which is already a long shot as is. But is that what this is meant to be? Or are you guys saying this guy should be impeached right now for these reasons, period? Oh, it's definitely the latter. Uh, no, nobody, at least in our campaign, ImpeachDonaldTrumpNow.org, is saying we should wait until the midterm elections. The Constitution's already being violated every day when Trump gets up in the White House or Mar-a-Lago or some tower somewhere. Uh, he's violating it anew, and that shouldn't be tolerable. You know, it's such a dangerous precedent to have a president willfully, flagrantly violating the Constitution, because if we shrug and say, well, we don't think it's practical, or 
we don't like the result of the vice president becoming president, then we've bought further into what, frankly, is moving towards dictatorship. If we say this is okay, that the president is above the supreme law of the land, then that opens the floodgates to autocracy and the antithesis of democracy. Well, uh, since you bring this up, I wanted to ask you about this. If, in fact, a case of uh, a successful uh, impeachment and trial in the Senate was was brought forward, and people need to understand an impeachment is really just an investigation. It doesn't remove the president. I think a lot of people think when a president is impeached, they got to leave uh, office. No, they don't. Uh, if you remember what happened with Bill Clinton, they had an impeachment investigation in the House. The uh, Republican-controlled uh, House voted to send uh, send it to the Senate, where there was an actual trial, and the uh, they were not successful in removing Bill Clinton in that Senate trial. But um, if all of this was successful, if there was impeachment in the House, if there it went to the Senate and somehow the president was removed uh, via a trial there, or if he just resigned, then yeah, Vice President Mike Pence becomes the president. Um, isn't he much more of a danger? I know you're a very progressive guy, Norman, uh, anti-war, a lot of books on, you know, for years on this. Uh, isn't he more of a threat in one sense, arguably, to progressivism uh, than Donald Trump? That is the single most frequently asked question that we get in the Impeach Donald Trump Now campaign. And the answers, I think, come in two separate complementary categories. And by the way, if people go to the site, under frequently asked questions, you'll see it addressed at impeachdonaldtrumpnow.org. The first layer is one that I was just referring to, and that's a matter of the Constitution and a constitutional government. If we don't want to have either, then we just say, oh, well, let it slide, because our calculus tells us it wouldn't be any better with the vice president moving into the Oval Office. But that's extremely dangerous, because once the Constitution is a dead letter, then what we fear most is going to come into being, which is a lawless government. And the last person you want to be above the law is the most powerful person in the government. So there's that level. We just cannot let this go by. But another level, which has so many political dimensions, has to do with, is it true that leaving Trump in place is better than getting rid of them and having President Pence. And while nobody has a crystal ball, I think it's much worse to leave in place somebody who would then be a de facto dictator than to decimate the Republican Party, have the Republicans back on their heels, and have Pence in the Oval Office with a splintered Republican Party uh, behind him. People forget, Brad, that the only way for Donald Trump to be removed from office here in the next couple of years is if at least 25 Republicans in the House and at least 19 senators, because to convict the Senate requires a two-thirds majority, mm -hmm. 19 Republican senators to vote to boot this guy out of the White House. Can you imagine what that would do to the Republican Party? There are many on Capitol Hill some anyway, and certainly many tens of millions of Republicans who, hard to fathom, love Donald Trump. And if Republican leadership, many of them on Capitol Hill, vote to get rid of the guy, 
then what it is going to do to the Republican Party would make it look like a picnic what happened in 1974 when what they called the, the Watergate class came in during that midterm election, Democrats who just rolled into town because the Republicans were so far back on their heels. So I think it's, from a political standpoint, a delicious prospect to imagine Donald Trump constitutionally being kicked out of the White House. <laughs> uh, well, to, to get to that delicious prospect, you're going to have to obviously, as you as you mentioned, Norm, uh, get at least some Republicans on board. You mentioned a couple of uh, Democrats who at least have, have taken this petition, 800 and almost a million signatures here. We're not even a month into this presidency, already a million signatures uh, for impeachment. So you mentioned some Democrats uh, and, and Nadler uh, introducing his measure, which is said to be the first step towards impeachment. Any uh, word whatsoever from any Republican in the House, in the Senate, anywhere else that they have any type of interest in even exploring the idea of impeachment? Well, if, if you Google impeach Trump, you'll see that a, uh, I think a former judge from Ohio is Republican is talking about it. There's certainly some uh, murmurings behind the scenes Frankly, I'm most concerned at this stage overwhelmingly about Democrats, because as you know full well, uh, Nancy Pelosi was very good at, as she said, taking impeachment off the table off the a table. decade ago. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and even when there's very strong grounds to proceed at least uh, into the impeachment resolution stage and open investigation, uh, she slammed the door. And I think this is a huge disconnect. Uh, not by far the first time we've seen it. I'm sure you've been talking about it a lot on the program lately and for a long time, I know. When there's a divide in the country and Capitol Hill is almost unanimous, which is exactly what's happening now. The latest poll, public policy polling survey from last week, shows a 46 to 46 percent divide of the entire country of registered voters. Do you support the impeachment of President Trump? And 46% each saying support and oppose. That is stunning yep. compared to what is on Capitol Hill, where it is 100% to 0% are willing to talk about supporting impeachment. 0% are saying they're supporting outright impeachment. So we have a long way to go to bring into alignment the support on Capitol Hill compared to the support at the grassroots. And that's a really good point. And you're right. We did talk about that poll uh, a few days ago. Seems like a few years ago, but a few days ago that, yeah, when you've got half the country essentially uh, uh, would support impeachment this early in a presidency. That's kind of amazing. Um, I got just a minute or two here left, uh, Norman. Uh, Do do you uh, you know, some Republicans in Congress have. Uh, while they're while they seem to be ignoring all of these conflicts of interest and the emoluments clauses and they won't even call for him to release his tax returns because uh, they could force that in Congress. Uh, the Republicans don't seem to care, but the, some of them, a few anyway, have expressed concerns uh, about Trump as part of this anti-Russia fever. Uh, despite the lack of at least public evidence so far of wrongdoing. But uh, do you suspect that that will ultimately be a more viable foot in the door, at least for some of these Republicans, uh, when it comes to an impeachment inquiry? Well, politically, Trump can find himself easily in a vice from several different directions where he's uh, under attack and being pressured and uh, 
having politicians actually want him impeached for a variety of reasons. And, you know, Lindsey Graham and John McCain, uh, they're furious in making that clear uh, because uh, Trump doesn't want to uh, militarily escalate against Russia. And I think this is a big danger that some Democrats are attacking Trump uh, over the top for extreme or with extreme rhetoric for reasons that could, if we pursue that line of reasoning from Democrats, grievously escalate the Cold War. So I think the Democratic Party has a problem at the top where there are some indiscriminate attacks that need to be subjected to cooler heads because we do not want an escalation of military conflict with a country uh, that has millions uh, of uh, uh, troops like we do and has thousands of nuclear weapons pointed at us and vice versa. That is not a good policy to pursue for confrontation. I couldn't agree more. Uh, That's a message I'd love to see the Democrats start paying attention to as well. Uh, Norm, uh, uh, what's the next step here? How can people uh, uh, take part or help in the uh, ImpeachDonaldTrumpNow.org effort? Well, at the site, we have a model resolution that people can take to their uh, city councils, county commissions, state legislatures, and so forth. And fittingly, uh, President's Day recess is just coming up. And next week, in our home districts, There's going to be town halls and meetings across the country with members of Congress, and that's a good time to push those people who supposedly represent us. It's time for impeachment. Norman Solomon, journalist, media critic, and national coordinator for the online uh, activist group RootsAction.org, leading the charge uh, on uh, the ImpeachDonaldTrumpNow.org campaign. You can uh, uh, check out both of those websites, RootsAction.org and ImpeachDonaldTrumpNow.org, but also on the Twitters, you guys are ImpeachDTNow. Is that correct? That's right. All right. Uh, Norman Solomon, great talking to you, my friend. Uh, let's uh, let's do this more often in the future, and 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 good luck. You're going to need it out there. Absolutely. Hey, thank you, Brad. You bet. Thank you. Okay, we begin year number nine of the Green News Report. After this break, I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. <laughs> Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Got a, 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 well, we'll see. If I have time, I wanted to get to some listener mail here after our Green News report. And it's a big one. Our uh, eighth anniversary of uh, whatever we do on our Green News (laughs) Report. Let's get right to it. It's a priority for the Trump administration to fix our broken regulatory system. Trump repeals anti-corruption regulation for the fossil fuel industry. Crews are still cleaning up after a major oil pipeline was struck, spilling oil across a highway in Collin County. From the folks bringing you the Dakota Access Pipeline, another major spill. 
Good news for breathers, bad news for coal miners in Arizona. U.S. emissions still declining, plus... This is really badly contaminated. Scientists discover man-made toxic chemicals in the deepest part of the ocean. All of those disturbing discoveries and more straight ahead. From bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Better to get your news directly from the president. In fact, it might be the only way to get the unvarnished truth. Just for the record, that's the chairman of the U.S. House Science Committee. We're screwed. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, before we get started, I just want to note that we are now heading into our ninth year of the Green News Report. We have been doing this for eight years. And my thanks to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help us continue to connect the climate change dots. Yes, indeed. Thank you so much. Now, on to the news. A big win on Wednesday for the fossil fuel industry. President Trump signed a repeal of an anti-corruption measure in the Dodd-Frank banking oversight law that would have required U.S. oil companies to disclose to the Securities and Exchange Commission any payments that they make to foreign governments for drilling and mining rights. It was similar to provisions in the EU, created in part to help citizens in developing nations fight government corruption, bribery, and tax evasion. Fast repeal of that anti-corruption provision was a big priority for the fossil fuel industry and Republicans. New U.S. Secretary of State Rex Tillerson personally lobbied against it back when he was ExxonMobil CEO. White House Press Secretary Sean Spicer painted the repeal as crucial for small business. Misguided federal regulations such as the SEC rule inflict real cost on the American people and put our businesses especially small businesses, at a significant disadvantage. Because, you know, ExxonMobil is a small business. The Standing Rock Sioux Tribe and Cheyenne River Sioux Tribe this week filed a new court challenge to the Dakota Access Pipeline to overturn the Army Corps of Engineers' sudden approval of a final permit as ordered by the Trump administration. Now, in a story that got buried when it happened, that Trump order, it came just days after yet another major pipeline rupture, this time near Dallas, Texas. Struck by construction equipment, the high-pressure pipeline spilled 600,000 gallons of crude oil. It was the second spill on that new one-year-old pipeline. And I want to underscore that. This pipeline began operation in mid-2016. It has already spilled twice, but no need to worry about that same company and their Dakota Access Pipeline. I'm sure it'll all be fine. Meanwhile, man-made toxic chemicals have contaminated even the deepest reaches of the ocean. According to a new study, tiny shrimp-like animals collected deep in the Pacific Ocean's Mariana Trench, seven miles below the surface, are heavily contaminated with man-made chemicals like PCBs at levels similar to the most polluted waterways in the world. In an interview with NPR, biologist Alan Jameson said they were shocked at their findings. Every sample we had had contaminants in it at very high or extraordinarily high levels. PCBs were banned decades ago but persist in the environment and may have been absorbed by plastic pollution in the ocean that settled to the bottom. At high levels, seven miles below the surface of the ocean. Yep. Wow. 
Good news for breathers in Arizona. The Navajo Generating Station coal-fired power plant in northern Arizona, one of the biggest polluters in the nation, will close in two years, its owners announced this week, because cheap natural gas has made it unprofitable to run. That's bad news, however, for more than 900 coal mine and power plant workers. Tribal environmental activists with the Navajo Nation are pushing their leaders and state officials to develop renewable energy projects to create new jobs. Like solar energy? Well, they do have that in Arizona. There is a little bit of sun out there. Finally, some good news. Despite a rise in economic and industrial growth in the U.S., U.S. annual emissions of greenhouse gases have continued to drop. A little, declining a little more than 2% over 2015, according to the latest data. The EPA says more electric utilities are switching away from coal to cleaner burning natural gas, plus a decrease in electricity demand thanks to energy efficiency and warmer winter temperatures, reducing heating demand. Annual U.S. emissions have declined 11% below 2005 levels. Well, we'll turn that around soon enough. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Once again, our thanks to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help the Green News Report stay on the air for what will now be our ninth year. Boy, oh boy. Thank you very much, Desi. I think. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyle. And this has been your Green News Report. Soak up the sun I got my 45 on So I can rock on Rock on, Desi Doyen. <laughs> Happy anniversary. Thank you, you too. Uh, looks like uh, we're going to have plenty of work ahead because the Senate has passed a procedural vote to send Oklahoma Attorney General Scott Pruitt to the full Senate for confirmation, and it looks like he will sail through... But Susan, I saw that Susan Collins, yeah, it was uh, yeah, Susan, Susan Collins, Collins, Republican, was going to vote against him. She was, but uh, it looks like Manchin, Joe Manchin of West Virginia, a Democrat, and Heidi Heitkamp from uh, South Dakota, also a Democrat, are going to vote for Pruitt. Fantastic. Can always count on the Democrats to come through for the Republicans. Uh, very quickly before we go here... Um, uh, some uh, some some listener mail uh, to Bradcast at bradblog.com from Ginger in Massachusetts. She says, hi, Brad and Desi. I would like to humbly disagree with what you said in your recent broadcast concerning the uh, concerning the Logan Act and ah. concerns that uh, Mike Flynn might have violated that by talking with uh, the Russian ambassador before the inauguration. Uh, about the the sanctions that President Obama was putting on Russia. I noted uh, in, a couple of days ago, I uh, described the, actually how the Logan Act works or doesn't in this case, uh, and that I didn't think it was, a, a, even if it was a violation of the Logan Act, that it's a ridiculous law um, that has never been prosecuted, et cetera. In any event, so... Um, Uh, Ginger uh, writes, I believe there's good reason to make it illegal for private citizens to negotiate foreign policy on the expectations of an incoming president. I feel that Ronald Reagan's team should have been subject to the Logan Act for negotiating the arms for hostages deal with Iran before Reagan was sworn in as president. If his team hadn't been negotiating this deal, it's possible Jimmy Carter would have been able to negotiate the hostages release before the election and thereby might have won the election. 
I believe that the discussions uh, Flynn had with the Russian foreign minister was also a matter of trading a new U.S. no-sanctions policy, which Russia wanted, for the Russians' help in getting Trump elected, which Trump wanted. Now, a couple of quick points there. First, uh, yeah, in the case of what uh, Ronald Reagan's team reportedly did in trying to forestall the release of the Iranian hostages, um, and as I noted when I talked about the Logan Act, it's one thing if you're actually stopping or blocking an actual policy, uh, in this case, you know, the release of American hostages. Yeah, that would be one thing. I don't know that the Logan Act would have done the trick in uh, holding someone accountable for that, but that's actually stopping or preventing the U.S. from carrying out a policy. In the case of the uh, sanctions against Russia, Obama was able to institute those sanctions. And actually, they are still in place, as far as I know. Uh, and here you had an incoming White House uh, talking to, uh, you know, a foreign counterpart, essentially, about what they planned to do when they got in. He didn't actually, as far as we know, Michael Flynn did not actually stop any policy of the U.S. Um that's one point. Uh, also, uh, Ginger notes that uh, that there was a trade off here that he wanted uh, Russia wanted no sanctions and that Trump wanted help on the election. Well, this conversation that we're talking about, at least right now, with concerning Michael Flynn was after the elections. This was on December 29, uh, 2016. So uh, Ginger goes on to say, I don't believe Russians were actually involved in hacking voting machines, uh, though they could have indirectly provided training for local U.S. hackers. Well, sure, I could have provided that. Uh, but apparently they were involved in trying to discredit Hillary and the DNC, which benefited Trump. Now, that's also only apparently. There has been no evidence uh, on, on either of those points. The story would change drastically, I suppose, if Trump's team was somehow proven to be undermining our voting machines or even if uh, th there was evidence presented that Russia had anything to do with the uh, so-called hacks of DNC emails right now. We don't have that evidence. That doesn't necessarily mean that the uh, team Trump himself uh, had anything to do with it either, by the way, even if that evidence did uh, was presented. So, again, uh, nothing to do with the Logan Act. She writes, I also don't happen to believe that whatever Flynn said or promised to the Russian ambassador was on his own private initiative. So I personally believe that Trump himself or his close henchmen were guilty of breaking the law, i.e. the Logan Act, since they did all that before getting elected and before being sworn in. Well, for the record, the uh, the former U.S. ambassador uh, to Russia and Obama's uh, top Russia advisor, Michael, uh, Michael McFaul, met with Russian diplomats in 2008 before the election uh, himself, before Obama's election in person. So was that a violation of the uh, of the Logan Act? So a lot of this is being used to damage Trump by some sympathetic Democrats or folks who just don't like Trump. I don't like him either. But these are very serious charges and they require serious evidence and leaning, frankly, on a law like the Logan Act that even Democrats admit Flynn likely did not violate and or that it's not even prosecutable. That law has serious constitutional issues and probably would not hold up uh, in a court of law. Remember, it was en enacted in the 1790s and has never been actually prosecuted and tested in court. 
anyway, that's just my response. Uh, Ginger says uh, all the above is in addition to whatever Trump and his team have done to compromise U.S. independence by leaving our officials open to blackmail. On that point, I agree. Thank you, Ginger. Uh, you can drop me an email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. You can find me on the Facebooks and the Twitters at the Brad Blog. My thanks to Desi Doyen, our producer, to Norman Solomon of Roots Action and ImpeachDonaldTrumpNow.org. Angie Coiro will be sitting in for us on the next thrilling episode of the Bradcast. So until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Good luck, world.